This is a spoiler warning, you insignificant worms. So take heed, for I am Alzaman, Heart of the Dark. The creator of this miserable content, Gleeman Tom, has read the series cover to cover, book to book. So, if you have not completed the series yet, if you have not read each and every book and persist listening anyways, well... Who's to blame, listener? Not I. Who went and spoiled one of the greatest fantasy series in existence? Not I. Do the recap. Wait, what? Look, man, if you and your boss are going to keep haunting me, the least you can do is pull your own goddamn weight. So do the recap. I mean, what? like, what's the oh, issue I here? I mean, you're, you're a speaker, Seriously, you're a philosopher. You think of it as a way to get your voice out to a bunch of listeners. I, cannot, I don't know, convert him to the I shadow. Don't I don't give a shit. Just <sighs> help me out here. Fine. If I have to do the recap, I'll at least do it my way. So, last time on the Eye of the World. The child I said I brought the children I'm looking for to an inn in Baron. They thought they were safe. They thought they were going to get some R&R. But the moment they went to sleep, I had a good time. I went and messed with the redhead, the large curly-haired one with the shoulders, and then finally the tricksome one that I really don't want to be the dragon because he seems like he'd be really hard to deal with. And I, 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 I just I just don't want him to be nameless. I don't want it to happen. I, I really, personally, I hope it's the really tall one with the red hair. He's kind of dashing. I like him. Uh, I mean, um, uh, on to the damn podcast. Hello, all, and welcome back to Gleeman Radio, your home for the return to the Wheel of Time podcast. Today, we're going to be covering Chapter 15, Strangers and Friends. Wow, guys, I think we just figured out why Baalzaman is always looking so hard for Rand. Yeah, a little bit of infatuation there, big guy. Wow. Oh, man. Uh, it was kind of cool that we got him to do the recap for us, though, even though he really didn't try very hard. It was amusing, so... Um, entertainment value? Yay? Uh, I really hope I can get him to keep doing that stuff. Uh, why don't you guys help me out and kind of encourage him to do that? Send in the emails, send in uh, the comments, go to the Gleeman Radio on Twitter, and just keep pouring in support for Baalzaman to keep doing those intros and recaps, because honestly, it saves me a bit of work. It's amusing to make the Heart of the Dark work for me. And, uh, you know, if he's gonna end up killing me anyways, or his master's gonna end up screwing me with anyways, I can at least get something out of it, right? And it's not like I can use him forever. After book three, he's not gonna really be viable anymore for the podcast, at least not for a while. And Morden, he's not, you know, as batshit nuts <laughs> as Baalzaman was. He's, he's just not. So, I, I really don't know what I'm going to do coming book four. Uh, maybe, like, land fear? But how in the hell would I pull off a land fear? <laughs> I, uh, I might need to get some outside help there, or see if my voice changer is a lot better than I thought it was. But I don't know how you can voice change my voice into sultry, you know what I mean? Wow, yeah. So, 
uh, I think I've blabbered enough here. Uh, from now on, uh, I'm gonna leave most of the personal stuff, uh, in the end of the podcast. I'm gonna finish talking about the chapter, which is what we're all here for, and then, uh, I might talk some personal shit after that. Uh, I felt like the whole Shale Ghoul story and the tornadoes came, went on a bit too long. Uh, I mean, it was to explain partially my absence, but I think it could have been more moved to the end of the podcast. Uh, I think when I do that, it holds things up a little bit, and I don't want to keep that up too long. Uh, the only reason I'm talking as long as I am right now is because I'm waiting for my intro song to end, and it it hasn't done it yet. (laughs) Well, whatever. Uh, so let's move on to the chapter breakdown. This is a, this is a pretty fun chapter. You know, we're finally going to get some men. We're finally going to, uh, get a little bit more conversation with Tom. I'm just, I'm, I'm into it. I am into it. I'm, let's break down those visions from men. That is what I'm most excited about. So yeah, stopping blabbering and getting on to the chapter breakdown. Let's do it. This is all foolishness. Rand said uncomfortably. His headache was fading to numbness. His head felt packed with wool. He wanted to get away from this girl and the things she saw. And yet... What do you see when you look at... the rest of us? All sorts of things, Min said, with a grin as if she knew what he really wanted to ask. The war... uh, Master Andra has seven ruined towers around his head, and a babe in a cradle holding a sword, and... She shook her head. Men like him, you understand, always have so many images they crowd one another. The strongest images around the Gleeman are a man, not him, juggling fire, and the White Tower. And that doesn't make any sense at all for a man. The strongest things I see about the big curly-haired fellow are a wolf and a broken crown and trees flowering all around him. And the other one, a red eagle, an eye on a balance scale, a dagger with a ruby, a horn, and a laughing face. There are other things, but you see what I mean. This time I can't make up or down out of any of it. She waited then, still grinning, until he finally cleared his throat and asked, What about me? Her grin stopped just short of outright laughter. The same kind of things as the rest. A sword that isn't a sword. A golden crown of laurel leaves. A beggar's staff. You pouring water on sand. A bloody hand and a white-hot iron. Three women standing over a funeral bureau with you on it. Black rock wet with blood. All right, he broke in uneasily. You don't have to list it all. Most of all, I see lightning around you. Some striking at you, some coming out of you. I don't know what any of it means, except for one thing. You and I will meet again. Alrighty then, well, once again, my clip of the day was a little too long, but... Well, damn, if I can't push it on men's viewing, when can I? I mean, this is one of the most, like, significant, looked at things in a reread like ever i mean think of how many things are in that viewing it's amazing and i cannot wait until we get to it so i can talk about it more uh all right so we're on chapter 15 strangers and friends and the chapter icon is the sunburst so 
I think we already know that this chapter has its share of assholes. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I, I, uh, you never look forward to it when you see the sunburst. You're like, oh shit, it's them. Uh, so Rand wakes up from like a restless sleep, obviously, with all of his aches and pains back in place. Poor guy, I know how he feels. My back still hurts and I've been up for hours. Uh, apparently he had more dreams after the first, but the Baalzaman dream is the only one he can remember, which makes me think that the following ones were just kind of nightmares plaguing him after the Teleron Riyadh incident. So, uh, I don't think there was any more special dreams after that, because I'm pretty sure he would remember them if he did. You're supposed to remember Teleron Riyadh clearly, so... Uh, Ishamayel had probably moved on to terrorizing the other boys after Rand, uh, woke. Because I really think he does it in order. That's how Teleron Riyadh works, right? Is you can't visit all three at the same time. That You'd have to make three of yourself. And that would be really hard. I, well, I mean, he has had, like, 3,000 plus years of time to do it. So I don't... We'll see. We'll see. Uh, <laughs> Rand decides to head out and explore... <laughs> a city <laughs> for the first time and he's a little irritated that no one woke him up and as he was leaving he hesitates over his sword uh before finally belting it on after all land's sword wasn't there so if land's wearing his sword obviously he should too right it's not like he's always fantasized about walking around a city you guys can't see the quotation marks in my notes or with my fingers, but City just keeps making me laugh. These guys are so ignorant of how stuff works that they're just like, oh, wow, Berlon, a grand city. It's, it's just so sad. Oh, oh, man. Uh, so he's making his way down the stairs, and Rand decides to get a bite to eat before going out, and that's where he comes across an argument between Master Fitch and the cook Sarah. And the exchange is really funny. The two are apparently arguing about her cat doing too well. So, it's basically that there's a whole bunch of dead rats around the inn after Baalzaman broke the back of one in his dream. So, I don't know, maybe there was a bunch of other dark friends in the inn and he's just breaking backs and they're just showing up like that in the real world. Um... I don't know why there would be 12 of them. Did he break more in front of Matt to freak him out? Like, what's going on? I... <laughs> 12 dead rats. Wow. Uh, yeah, and they're complaining because apparently the cat's doing such a good, too good a job that people are complaining about it. And the cook, Sarah's like, oh, hell no. Hell no. You're, you're going to tell me my cat's doing too good and give me shit not gonna happen if you don't appreciate me and you don't appreciate my cat then maybe we'll go somewhere else that's gonna be hmm more grateful for our services and master fitch is like oh hell no come on sarah don't go anywhere i need you don't do it it's, it's great because She's pulling the apron off her head and trying to hand it to him, but he's grabbing it and trying to put it back over her head, and they're kind of dancing around in circles, and... Oh, it's very funny. I do enjoy it. Finally, she kind of thinks he's sorry enough, because there's no real end to it. She's just like, all right, I've messed with him enough now. It's time to get on with what I was doing. <laughs> so she takes it back, puts it back on, and tells him to get out of here so she can get some work done. It's... 
It's the first of very many the cook running over the innkeeper scenarios we'll see in this series. But at least the first one was very genuinely funny, uh, which I liked. Um, so, yeah, he leaves, and Sarah's like, oh, she sees Rand. And she's like, oh, come on over. I don't bite, no matter what you've seen that you shouldn't, which was very funny. And she sits him down. She's like, Master Fitch is good and all. It's just the customer's complaining has him on edge, and I had to put him in his place. <laughs> so she gives Matt, uh, not Matt. She gives Rand some uh, meat and cheese and bread and milk. No, no meat, just cheese, bread, and milk. And he's eating it, and then the food in his mouth turns to ash when she's discussing what actually happened. He didn't know about the dead rats. He just kind of came in. And she was like, it doesn't make any sense. We're a clean place, mind. And 12 dead rats all with their backs broken? And it's not like my cat to leave her work around. And, and of course, after his dream, Rand's like, oh, what, what do you mean, dead rats? No, no dead rats. <laughs> like, he is not into it. So he needs to talk to somebody. He needs to head out and find someone to get this off his chest about. And Tom was performing in the common room. Um, and he's too busy. He can't help him. Uh, but here's some interesting things about this. I always thought a Gleeman would perform in the evenings. It's kind of, this is like, what, 10, 11 in the morning probably? Uh, and he's already performing. To me, that's odd. But again, the inn is very crowded, so maybe that's just why. And maybe I was just wrong. Uh, also, I kind of it's kind of cool how Tom is reciting the Great Hunt for the Horn. Uh, and he even like makes the statement of blowing the horn bring summons the heroes to fight for the light, um, which I think is very important to state now because later they try to contradict it and then they contradict it back, and it's just very good. Uh, also, why is Tom's cloak, Gleeman cloak, hung over a chair, like, right below the stage while he's performing? Doesn't he always wear that while he's performing? Isn't that a thing? It was weird that I heard that it was down there. It was weird. I, I, I just found it odd. I don't know. Maybe I'm very sensitive about the whole Gleeman thing. <laughs> just, um... So while Rand is watching him perform here for a minute, uh, we learn from Rand that apparently, according to Tom, uh, there are three voices when telling a story. High chant, which is something very wordy and complicated, kind of like the prophecies, I'd guess. And plain chant, which is, I'd say, a little less polished than high, but a lot more flowery than common. And then there's the common voice, which Rand says is just a normal way of speaking, like how a farmer would discuss the crops with a neighbor. And apparently, Tom, who considers himself an artist, if you'd recall, hates telling stories in common. So even though he's in an inn full of miners and smelters and, you know, men who really, really work in the, in the, in the lower areas, uh, he's telling it in the mid-voice, which I think is funny. He wouldn't even tell them the story in common. Yeah, so, seeing that the Gleeman was too busy to talk, Rand remembers the cook saying one of his friends hadn't gone out yet. So, he goes up to check the room Matt and Perrin share, and it's Perrin still there. He's lying in bed, he hasn't got dressed yet, he's just kind of sulking in there with his arm over his eyes. Um, and Rand talks to him, and it turns out he dreamed too. He dreamed about Baalsman as well. And they also believe Matt did, because... How he had gone out, uh, Perrin said he didn't have much sleep, 
that he had been muttering, tossing, and turning, and that when parents said he couldn't go out because of a dream, Matt gave him, like, this really funny look. So, obviously, Matt dreamed it, too. Um, <laughs> but I love how uh, uh, Matt is still like, you know what, even with all this horrible experience, it's not going to stop me from seeing Berlon at Grand City. God. <laughs> and I think this also confirms that Baalzman was visiting the youths one after another, right? First Rand, then Perrin, and then Perrin couldn't get back to sleep, and he heard Matt tossing and turning for the rest of the night. So I think that's what happened, because Rand went to sleep first, if you recall. So cool, I'm right about that. So Rand tells Perrin that he thinks he wants to talk to Tom about this stuff, since he's a worldly fella, and he's always been good to them, and, you know, talking straightforward to them, so he thinks Tom would be the good one to talk to. Parents still unsure, but the one thing they both agree on is that they're not even ready to consider telling Moraine. Uh, and poor Parent, he just wishes he was back home and asks Rand, If I ever do return home to Emmonsfield, and I decide to ever, ever leave again, even to go as far as Watch Hill, kick me. <laughs> just, oh, poor guy. Uh, Rand tries to console him, cheer him up, then tries to convince Perrin to leave with him, but Perrin's having none of it. He's refusing. He just says maybe he'll catch up in an hour or two. He knows Matt will never let him hear the end of it if he makes lets a bad dream stop him from seeing Berylon, but he's just not ready to go out yet. And, well, Rand's a good friend, so he's like, alright, dude, I'll, I guess I'll just go out on my own. And he, as he goes to leave... The headache Rand has had, like, since he woke up, we know his channeling sickness is actually going to appear in this chapter. This is about a week since he, uh, rejuvenated Bella, since he kind of gave Bella energy during their run away from the Emmonsfield. Uh, and yeah, his headache's been getting worse, and he decides to go anyway. He's like, I don't care, you know, if a dream's not going to stop me from seeing Berylon, a headache's not going to stop me from being Berylon, and... He heads out, and, well, his fortitude doesn't last long because he sees the people packing the street. Twice as many people as Rand has ever seen at one time, even on feast days, on only one street in the entire town. And he's like, these are all strangers. Look at the way they pass each other and don't look at each other, don't speak to each other. Look how they kind of barely brush shoulders and... They're all strangers, and this is this is crazy to him. And Rand loses his nerve a bit here. He's like, man, you know, you know, maybe I don't have to go out. I mean, what if Tom stops telling his stories and decides to go out? How will I talk to him about this trouble? And to be honest, leaving Perrin here when he's not feeling great wouldn't be the best thing to do to a friend. He's really, he's trying super hard to convince himself he doesn't have to go out. Uh, so he did, but he doesn't really want to go back inside either, so he just decides to sit out on a barrel out there in the stable yard. Maybe the cold air will help his head. And that's when he's confronted by men. Oh, I'm so excited. Uh, she's like, a shepherd with a heron-marked sword. That's almost enough to make me believe anything. It's her first lines. It's her first lines in the series. I love men. I love men. She's great. Uh, 
I love how she immediately has him off kilter. She's at, like asking what kind of trouble he's in. She's also calling him a down country boy. I, I just I love it all. And Rand says he's like, "There's no trouble at all with me. I don't know what you're talking about." Because he's remembering Land's warnings about not trusting anyone, not not telling anyone anything. But you know, she's sitting and babbling anyways, and he's like, "There's no trouble at all. Two Rivers, quiet, quiet place. Only issues we ever have down there are problems with uh, sheep and and uh, crops. Yeah, we're 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 good." <laughs> and apparently, Min has heard about people from the Two Rivers, um, and she's actually it's it, it's pretty funny stuff. She said, "There's jokes." about the wooden-headed sheep herders, and then there's the people that are actually be, been down there. And Rand's eyes narrow here. He's like, what do you mean jokes about wooden-headed sheep herders? <laughs> and she just goes on, ignoring him. She's like, they say the people down country are kind and polite and as meek and soft as butter on the surface. Underneath, you're all as tough as old roots. And you dig too deep, you pull up stones. But the stones aren't buried too deep in you at all. Or your friends. Then she drops Moraine's name, freaking him out even more. And he's just, I don't know any, um, who did you say? Mmm, what? And she... <laughs> I honestly think Min is really enjoying teasing the hell out of Rand. Because she's already seen him, so she already knows the foretelling, not foretelling, she already knows the thing between her and Rand and the two others. So she's kind of sussing out, like, who this guy is, you know? And that's when she tells Rand... Uh, what she's able to do, and kind of why she knows who Moraine is. Uh, she said Moraine calls it seeing the pattern, and that Moraine knew about her because Min had talked to other Aes Sedai before, probably some brown Aja ladies down to check her out. Um, however, she said seeing parts of the pattern seem a bit too grand for her. She just sees what he sees. She's what she sees, I think. <laughs> Uh, I liked the example she used here. It's, it, yeah. She said she can see two people who had never spoken before, who had never met before, and she'd know they'd marry. Hmm, I wonder what made her think of that example. I don't know, guys. What do you think? Uh, I also like that he thinks her dark eyes are even larger than Egwene's. And I think that's supposed to mean he finds her eyes prettier than Egwene's, but he's just not quite willing to admit that yet. And that's when she goes into her whole visions, and she's telling Rand what's going on. Now, I don't think she would talk this openly about her visions, ever. Now, this I, I would equate this to Taviran, but I think she's just trying to be honest with the guy that, you know, she's gonna marry. She never sees anything wrong. Everything she has ever seen, ever, has come to pass. So, why not be honest with the guy? She's tied to him, right? I don't think this is a Taviran thing. I think uh, them meeting at the time they did is a Taviran thing. I think that the Taviran and her visions kind of pull her to follow and to keep interacting with the whole group, but... I don't think her telling them this here has to do anything to do with Taviran. So first, her vision about the whole group. Sparks swirling around you, thousands of them. A big shadow darker than midnight, 
The sparks are trying to fill the shadow, and the shadow is trying to swallow the sparks. You are all tied together in something dangerous. I'm, I'm not going to go into that one. It's very obvious. It's just simply the fight between the light and the shadow. That's all it is. The sparks are kind of the major players on Rand's side, and the shadow is the major players or just the ominous presence of the Dark One and all of his followers. I mean, the simple fact that there's not that, that those sparks are probably people that are guaranteed to fight on the light, right? And the sparks are going to get more numerous the more Rand encounters people and bends people towards those sparks and heading them out to try to fan the flame and put out the darkness. Uh, next, she talks about Egwene. She's part of it. You're in love with her. She loves you too. But she's not for you or you for her. Not in the way you both want. When I look at her, I see the same thing as I do when I look at Mistress Alice. She won't refuse it. So, yeah, all we know about her vision here of Egwene is she's going to be Aes Sedai. Not she's going to the Tower to try. Not that she, you know, she will be Aes Sedai. Which is interesting because she is Aes Sedai when she becomes Amarlin, But not before that. I kind of, yeah... Well, she is one of the best examples of Aes Sedai by the end, so... Oh, now I'm all depressed. I miss it, Gwen. Okay, so her next vision is about Lan, seven ruined towers around his head, and a babe in a cradle holding the sword. Uh, I find it interesting that the only vision she tells Rand about Lan is his past. You know, he's the last king of Benethrin, the seven ruined towers around his head, and the babe in the cradle holding a sword, the oath made when he was just a babe. Yeah, we all know about that. Because Outland Man Dragon is a legend. A legend! <laughs> uh, next, Tom. A man, not him, juggling fire in the White Tower. But that doesn't make any sense for a man. Uh, now, you could look at this multiple ways. One, obviously a man juggling fire is not him. It's Owen, his nephew. And the White Tower is, well, gentling Owen. That's what it could all be about. That's why Tom is there with them right now. But, I like, but you can also see this in more than one way. It's Rand. And because of his wanting to help Rand, because of Owen, he gets more and more involved with the White Tower, with Moraine, with Elaine, with Nynaeve, with Salidar, and then ending up a warder, and right there, guarding Rand's back when he heads in to find the final battle. I, but, uh, I mean, it's good. I like it. I love looking at these old uh, visions. Perrin, a wolf and a broken crown. So, wolf brother, uh, young bull, and Fael, the broken crown, the air, the, you know, broken air line to Saldea, and trees flowering all around him. This one's the more complicated one. Um, you could equate it to people dying around him, like if you think about, you know, his parents being buried under the apple tree. But you could also think about that Perrin is the one that brings the biggest amount of followers up to the last battle to Rand. The, the biggest mixed group. You know what I mean? He's coming in with Two Rivers folk. He's coming in with Andoran folk. He's coming in with uh, Saldeans. He's coming in with uh, Gildanan. He's coming in with Mayaners. He's, like, he's got gathering these huge 
this huge group of nations to follow Rand. And they are loyal to Perrin and Fael more than Rand. So, and next, Matt. A red eagle, so his whole Manetheran stuff, his, he, he is Old Blood Manetheran, definitely the strongest. Um, maybe a also hint towards the Band of the Red Hand there. An eye on a balance scale? Holy crap, it's mentioning him going after Moraine here. I mean, can you believe that? I mean, you hear about it again later uh, when he's either with the Eelfin or the Aelfin. I don't remember which one, when they say you must give up half the light of the world to save the world. But this is the first mention of it, and I love it, because it didn't take place until the second to last book. <laughs> driving characters, cr like driving fans, not characters, driving fans crazy forever trying to figure out what it was. And then when we finally do, we're like, oh shit, it was that literal? <laughs> you know, half the light of the world to save the world, it's really just losing an eye? Come on. <laughs> a dagger with a ruby. Ah, uh, which is, you know, the Shatter Logoth dagger. Um, and Rand actually tells Matt about this later at his little fever. And I kind of wondered, wish, if Rand had kept his damn mouth shut about this, if Matt wouldn't have been so intent on taking the damn thing and Shael Ghoul. He's like, well, she said there was a ruby with a dagger in my future, so I might as well take it. Ah, a horn which is very cool. So she already sees the Horde of Valir around him. Funny enough, in the same chapter, we hear Tom say it's used to summon the dead heroes to battle for the light. And lastly, a laughing face. This can have so many interpretations. Matt is a trickster. It's Baalzaman laughing at him. It's Dark Friends laughing at him. It's, it's him laughing. It's, you know, it's that one is super subjective. Uh, and always be clear to take these prophecies, these visions, all the foretellings, all of this with a grain of salt. Because Robert Jordan himself has been known to put in prophecies that have big meanings and prophecies that mean absolutely nothing uh, or extremely little. Because to him, you know, it was important to put both the big and the small. So, I mean, I think that's what, like, a laughing face could be. Uh you know, and other stuff like that. Maybe trees flowering all around him, too. Uh, all that stuff. Uh, lastly, we're going to go with Rand. And when I, when I read this, it really makes me wonder how I didn't know. I had suspicions back in the day. It's really hard to remember that many years back about this. But I know that I wasn't absolutely sure Rand could channel until he channeled. And I was going, oh my god, I thought this might happen, but oh my god, oh my god, oh my god. But how did I not know so much more with this vision? A sword that isn't a sword? We talked about this in Choices on our way into town. Tom even said the sword that isn't a sword that would be pulled by the Dragon Reborn. We got confirmation right here, right after Balsmon was asking, are you the one? It, 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 it's so right here. And then next, you got a golden crown of laurel leaves, which will be lit, which is the laurel crown of Ilion. And Ilion is another nation that's talked about all the time in the Eye of the World. And then we, he's, I think that's the one he renames the Crown of Swords. A beggar's staff, 
um, which I think could uh, either go to um, Jesus Rand, like where he has his epiphany after trying to blow up Ebadar in a nuclear blast of power, or um, when he's on the run after his fight with the Ashaman, is it is it after book eight? Hmm, something like that. Pouring water on sand, I think, is when he makes it rain in Rudion. Um, or also when he puts all the fountains into use in Rudion. But most definitely the rain. Uh, a bloody hand and a white iron. Uh, probably Semirag getting rid of his hand. Uh, three women standing over a funeral fire with you on it. Black rock wet with blood. We know these ones. Uh, and I was so happy with the way it ended, to be completely honest. With this whole thing, it was exactly how I wanted it to play out. Uh, so yeah, the girl standing over his body, which is holding Moradin. Black rock wet with blood. Uh, the His blood fading out with Moradin in him in Shale Ghoul, lightning all around you, some striking at you, you know, dark, uh, Dreadlords and Forsaken fighting him, some coming out of you because he can channel. How was this not... Maybe if I read it, you know, later on. This was my first big fantasy series that I ever read. Um, I read Harry Potter, and then in high school, my dad gave me this series. But I hadn't read Lord of the Rings... I haven't read the Belgariad. I hadn't read Aragon. This was my first major fantasy series. So I wasn't looking for these. There's there's tropes that play out again and again, and I wasn't looking for them. I was just enjoying the ride. But it just seems so obvious now. Uh, but yeah, lastly, you and I will meet again. And Rand's just like, what do you mean? Of course we'll meet again. I'm going to be going home soon. And then she kind of reaches up and pats his cheek. And she's like, yeah, yeah, I bet that's it. <laughs> but if I, and you know, but if I told you everything I saw, you'd be as curly haired as your friend with the shoulders. She's probably talking about the fact that they'd marry. <laughs> and the spooks ran even more. And he asks a bit too quickly if she knows anything about dreams or not marry, be in love. And she, he asks a bit too quickly if she knows anything about dreams or rats. Wait. I mean, I would love to give Rand a hard time here for such a weird, idiotic, just foolish question, right? But what man hasn't honestly made a fool out of himself at one point or another in front of a pretty girl, right? So we'll just let this go. You get a pass here, Rand, but the next dumb thing that comes out of your mouth, I'm calling out, okay? So she's like, no, I don't really know anything about rats. But as for dreams, though, maybe it's your idea of a dream, but I never thought it would be mine. <laughs> Again, she's like, yeah, we're going to end up together. Hmm, you're not so bad, I guess. <laughs> because she's not saying she regrets it. She's just saying, I never thought it was my dream. Not, you know, I never wanted it to be my dream. I don't know. I think she's already like, he's cute enough. He's tall. He's got a pair of shoulders. I'm older and I'm, I have obviously got him off guard. I like that. <laughs> yeah, so Rand seriously freaks out at this point, though. Like, he's thought she must be crazy grinning at him the way she is. 
and he's doing his best to edge her around her, saying he's got to go look for his friends. <laughs> but Min yells after him, Go then! You won't escape! Run if you want, but there's no escape from me! <laughs> now that's a girl with a fantastic sense of humor, guys. I love it. Min is great. Min is almost faultless throughout this entire series. You can get mad at almost any character, male or female, but Min is almost perfect, but at the same time, she's not bland in my opinion. I've heard podcasts and I've read forums where there are people that think she's a little boring and everything. I just do not understand it. Her visions, her personality, I, I love it. She's, she's apparently the first tomboy of the age. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. I like it. I do a lot. Min is fantastic. And Rand didn't exactly break into a run, but every step away from her was faster than the first until he was moving quite swiftly through the crowd of people jostling and bumping into people and earning hard, hard looks and words from passersby. Which makes sense. I wouldn't like being bumped into, and but at the same time, we get why Rand's running away. <laughs> Even though his head is feeling worse and worse uh, now that he's been forced out into the streets, he hardly cares. I mean, he has to stare around and look at this grand city. He's a bit disappointed that there's not palaces around. Maybe Camelin will have a palace or two. <laughs> Come on, dude. Well, moving on from that comment... Palaces in Berlon, maybe a few in Camelin. That still hurts. It still hurts. I still don't like it. It's just so bad. I want to call him out on that, but it's just, I, I can't find the words. Maybe, maybe a little bit later when he starts chatting so friendly with Thane, we'll call him out, huh? Let's do that. <laughs> Come on, why can't they just tell Land Fane is in town and Land can go cut him down with a sword? Just be the best. Maybe Tom would throw a dagger through his eye. Is, is, is Tom Marilyn throwing, da throwing a dagger through Pot on Fane's eye too much to ask? Tell me how many of you out in the audience would not love to have read that scene. Tom's just walking around. Maybe he's with Elaine and Nynaeve. And then he sees Pot on Fade and he's like, oh, hell no. Dagger, I, dead. Oh, it'd be wonderful. Just wonderful. Okay, we need to move on so we can get to that horrible, horrible stuff. Rand's walking around Barelon. He notices nine inns as he's walking, all bigger than the Wine Spring Inn, uh, and he also saw many, many people that could have come straight out of the two rivers, and he goes on to describe how this person could be a cousin, this person could be a brother. It's kind of funny how he notices this one bald, ugly old man with ears like wine jugs, looked like, like staring dejectedly into an empty cask of booze, could have been Billy Conger's brother. That is... An insult, if I ever heard one, and I'm always welcome to hear one about a conger Coplin. God damn. Uh, so he's, yeah, he's walking around, he's walking around, he's interested in these merchant stalls and shops. 
but after a few suspicious stares from the proprietors, he had to stop himself from getting angry and getting pissed off. He's like, no, no, they, it's all right if they think I'm going to steal. I don't have to be offended by that. They don't know me. <laughs> Remember, he grew up in a really small community. He knew everyone's name, if not knew them well. You know what I mean? And at one point, he's watching a transaction between uh, uh, a couple people, and he's shocked to see the amount of money spent on some shriveled apples and turnips, the kind of food that would be fed to horses in the two rivers, and that the people seemed happy to pay that for it. He was like, what the hell is going on here? Well, Rand, you grew up in a farming community where well, most of the food was better than a huge town that had to feed this many people. Moving on, after a while, however, he ended up running across someone he never expected to see. Pot on Fane! Yay! Grimy and dressed in rags, but still Fane. Upon seeing him, Rand called out, but Fane ran off. He was freaked out, like, you know, he was probably looking for Rand, he just didn't want to be seen. Uh, Rand or any of the boys, you know, he is the hound at this point. But he doesn't really want to be seen. So he runs off and Rand chases him down until he corners him in an alley that has no exit. And Rand is standing in front of the only way out. And Fane isn't happy about this. And, but unfortunately, Rand is happy to see Fane. Because he thought he got eaten by a Trollic cookpot. Why he didn't? I just, just... I hate Fane so much. <laughs> I really, really do. Uh, I think actually when we hear his story later, he really was in a Trollic cookpot, but that was only so the Merdral could kind of assert his dominance uh, before, you know, the whole Shadar Logoth stuff, when he starts getting stronger and stronger because of Mordath. <sighs> I really don't like him, guys. I really don't like him. Okay, I may not have given Rand crap, about fumbling and running from men, okay? And I may have been too speechless with shock about the whole palace's comment, but for telling Pot on Fane the inn they're staying and how long they're gonna be there, Rand deserves a slap of the head from the warder or worse, okay? Maybe a kick in the shins from Matt, a, a, a club on the head from Perrin, a, 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 a nick from Rand's blades, some kind of channeling for Moraine, Egwene, Nynaeve, a, 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 I don't know, he's just stupid here, and I don't like it, and it's just dumb, no, hindsight is twenty twenty. thanks for telling everything to a dark friend, Rand, I know, <laughs> this is just, no, Thane is acting crazy, too. It, it, you shouldn't even tell things to a crazy person, let alone a dark friend. Oh, man. You know, Rayton's like, I thought you were dead. And Pot on, Pot on Fane's like, me? Dead? That's nonsense. Pot on Fane knows where to jump and where to land. That, that they burned his wagon and all his goods. It, 
you know, they meaning the Trollocs, and that they had no cause to be doing that because he's on their side, not the light, and and that he couldn't get his horses from Master Alvir, and that he had to run all the way here, that he'd barely eaten, that he'd barely slept. Good. Good. I hope you're miserable, Thane. I hope you're miserable. And Rand tries to be nice, and he's like, Master Thane wouldn't have done anything to them, and he could, and you can get them back at any time. And that's when Rand name drops Moraine when he shouldn't, and he's like, Yeah, Moraine will help you get back to Emmonsfield. We'll just ask her. And after hearing that, of course, the Dark Friend's like, Oh, um, the Ice and I is here too. Huh? Oh, that's bad. Ooh, I don't like that. It makes him very uneasy, very unhappy. He asks Rand how much longer they'll be at this. Hmm, where did you say? The stag and lion? And Rand, yeah, yeah, tells him. <laughs> yeah, we'll be here until tomorrow. Isn't that great? <sighs> He's very cryptic. Fane's like, you don't know how how things have been for me, okay? I don't want to be anywhere near an Aes Sedai, okay? I don't want to, but I may have to. No choice, right? Because he's the Dark One's hound, but the idea of her eyes on him, her knowing where he is, she can't do it. So he makes Rand promise not to tell her he's in town, and Rand agrees. <sighs> Rand tries one last time to escort Fane to the inn at least, maybe get him a hot meal, right? That'd be good, Fane. Good buddy old pal. But Fane just spits out some super tom ominous tomorrow, you say, in, um, in the not amount of time. Yes, yes. Uh, you'll be keeping your promise, won't you? You won't be telling her I'm here. Oh, oh. You won't be telling her about the precious. Oh. Man, isn't Pot on Fane supposed to be Gollum? I don't know. Like, like, let me know. I think Pot on Fane is supposed to be Gollum, right? I'm getting loud and obnoxious, but I'm just so mad. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you promises you won't tell her about Gollum's, is right? And Rand's like, yeah, totally. I, I won't tell her anything. He's super suspicious, Rand. Come on. And he tells him he won't let an Aes Sedai hurt him. He won't let Moraine hurt him, even though he's not sure how he could stop an Aes Sedai from doing whatever he wanted. She wanted. Well, you can't now, but actually looking later into the books, it's kind of a funny thought, because, you know, he's so much stronger than the average Aes Sedai, and he has them, you know, swearing fealty and all that. But, you know, Fane scampers around him after telling Rand to keep his promise and runs away. And Rand tries running after him, but he ends up practically running over Matt and knocking them both down into the mud. And uh, I'm going to cheer up here because Matt's pretty funny here. He's like, wow, you really are turning into a city man. Sleep all morning and run right over people. Matt and Rand discuss seeing Pot on Fane and how they're... <sighs> both glad he didn't end up in a Trollic Cook plot. Yes. I am so pleased as well. You can tell by my cheerful tone. Matt agrees with not telling Moraine about the peddler because his secret's safe with me when Rand's like, I think he's afraid of Moraine. Uh, he doesn't want her knowing where he is. And Matt's like, I wish she didn't know where I was. Don't worry about it. Cat, quit licking my toes. When are you going to stop doing that? Well, that's in the podcast now. 
<laughs> so Rand, whose head is feeling even worse now, right, takes the plunge and asks Matt if he dreamed of a man. A man who may or may not have broken a rat's back. Luckily, Matt did. Now, isn't this a weird point to bring up for the did you dream about a man that broke a, a rat's back? I'm just saying, just because he broke a rat's back in Rand's dream doesn't mean he did in Matt's dream. Right? Wouldn't it have been more of, did you see a man who had, I don't know, caverns of flame for eyes and mouths? That would have been better. I'm just, I'm just saying. You know, Matt did. And he guessed that Perrin had the same dream since he was acting so weird. But they, nobody's happy about this dream. Nobody's happy. They're all freaked out now that they're all having the dreams. And Rand admits he's planning on telling Tom when he's available. But he's still unsure about telling Moraine. Matt, however, is adamant. Not her. Maybe him, but not her. He thinks that just maybe the dreams could be better, safer at least, than, te than, than telling Moraine about it. Just on the chance that Baalzaman is telling the truth about him being used like the false dragons. Because while they don't really have any way of recognizing the name Rowan, Darkspane, Ewan Stonebow, Darian, I, I might be not saying the names right anymore, but you get the name Loghain makes it clear because they heard it that night with Lan, you know what I mean? He doesn't want the risk. And he's like, I mean, Rand, remember the fairy? I'm not telling her nothing. And Rand... Rand remembers the fairy. He also remembers Moraine's threats about what she would do to stop the Dark One from having him. So yeah, let's go tell Moraine she was in that he was in their dreams, cause she's just gonna be thrilled about that one, right? Right, right. <sighs> now again, this is one of those super infuriating moments in a reread. We know Moraine truly does have their best interest at heart. She's just used to bossing everyone around and expecting people to hop when she says toad. But what else we can expect from her at this point? She's an Aes Sedai and a noblewoman. That's pretty far for the course. But that's not how you hand it, handle Emmons Fielders. It's not how it works. And she should learn that soon. But we know it takes her a while. And, and don't get me wrong. I love Moraine. She is one of my favorite characters of all time. I mean, when I think Sorceress, I think Moraine and Polgara. Huh, you know what? You know that I think about it? They're both beautiful, dark-haired women who favor blue. That's interesting. I don't know. It's weird how your mind works with that, right? You know, when you think Sorceress, I think Moraine and Polgara. Uh, when I think Vampire, I think, you know, Angelus, not Dracula. I don't know. It's just, it's weird how what you're first really introduced to and what you really like kind of takes center stage and all that stuff. Because I bet if I thought really hard about it, I could name probably a hundred different Sorceresses from things I watch, read, listen to, play, you know, all that. But those are the two ones that pop into my head at the very beginning. And that's just interesting. Probably should be something like Morgana, right? Uh, 
Merlin's enemy, but no, it's Moraine and uh, Polgara. Anyways, do do where am I now that I got off track? <laughs> yeah, Moraine was not doing this the right way, and it makes sense they're afraid to talk to her. It would solve so much. It would help so much. It would put them to ease so much. But when you make threats to them, like, I won't let the Dark One have you, or I'll kill you myself, and then they're like, oh yeah, by the way, the Dark One that you said you'll kill us if he really tries to get us, he's been in our dreams trying to convince us to drink glasses of wine and join him, uh, and he's been telling us awful things about you and the Amarillid seat, so we just thought we should let you know. Oops, Bellfire! No, no, she doesn't know Bellfire yet, and even if she did, she wouldn't... Uh, <laughs> there are chances. Moraine's one of those rebels. I like it. Moraine was the first blue rebel I to die. It shouldn't have been a Sally Dara. It should have been... Morena. <laughs> Morena's not bad. I like Morena. I've been thinking about a lot of fantasy stuff to write. And uh, I always kind of... I, I, I kind of want to do an homage to the Wheel of Time being my first big fantasy series. Like, I've thought about uh, having the uh, main country of one of my uh, places, Almira. But Morena's good, too. Oh, I have a lot of good ideas for this. Oh, there I go. A lot of good ideas? Really? Come on. <laughs> All right, now that the tangent's out of the way, we can move on with the chapter breakdown. So Matt wants to go back to the inn so they can make sure Perrin won't talk. But honestly, Perrin's the least likely to talk. Between the trickster who can barely control his tongue and Rand who's about to enter the high point of his channeling sickness, who do you think's going to act the worst? Hmm, the dude who's about to humiliate a white cloak for a joke and the dude who's about to talk up, talk down and up to one and off to one and... I'm sorry, I was getting all distracted because the cat's getting on my desk and, try and getting ready to knock things over. If I don't think move things out of her way, she'll knock them on the floor. Whether they're nothing or they're made of glass. Because she's the queen of the world, aren't you, Sophia? Yes. Um, yeah, so between Matt, who's going to do a stupid white cloak joke, and Rand, who's going to... Make the wrong, every wrong move you can with a white cloak. Who's the one that should be trusted most? Perrin. This is ridiculous. Just ridiculous. Uh, so Matt heads off. Well, Rand's just staring there, star uh, standing there, staring after him till Matt comes back to get him. And at this point, Matt's like, what, are you falling back to sleep or something? And Rand's like, I think I got a cold. I'm really not feeling good. And Matt's starting to believe it, right? And that's when Matt... That, that, that's when Matt drops this amazing factoid that no matter how many turnings of the wheel there are, chicken noodle soup, or chicken soup, as he, he just says chicken soup, is the cure-all offered when someone's feeling unwell. I love that Matt's like, we'll just have you have some chicken soup when we get back to the inn. It's like, I, okay, sure, let's, let's go with that. I'll accept that. Let's do it. <laughs> Uh, the boys head back while, uh, and we finally get the chapter icon's purpose. The white cloaks appear walking down the street in their direction. And so Matt, being Matt, practically yells, Do you think those are the children of the light? Which definitely has some passersby giving him startled looks. And Rand agrees, thinking about how so much of what he have heard about these people 
make them sound like just absolute assholes. He's like, you know, they're people that tell everyone what to do. And if you don't do what they want, then they cause trouble. If you can cause, if you can call burning down in, uh, burning down buildings and worse, just trouble. So yeah, the white cloaks are just awful. But hey, at least we get to meet them face to face here. Maybe we're just exaggerating, right? Maybe just people don't like them, right? Maybe it's people like me on Pot on Fane. And other people are like, well, Pot on Fane is a swell human being, and you're just wrong. So we should give them the benefit of the doubt, right? We should see how they react. In the worst possible way. Because Matt's looking at them, and he's like, you know, they remind me of the congers. They, they, he, he said a specific conger, but I can't remember his name. With his nose always in the air, thinking he's better than everyone. He then recalls how when the man fell into the river one day and had to walk all the way home dripping wet, that seemed to take him down a peg for a month or two. So what does Matt do? He heads up to the rooftop, comes out of an attic building, has a swing, a sling, Swinging around in the air, top speed. Matt looks. Rand looks over to the barrels. Matt snaps it. The barrels fall down. The white cloaks avoid it gracefully, but they couldn't avoid the splattering mud that hit their cloaks. No, no, it couldn't. And now Rand is in full swing of his channeling sickness. Right uh, now, if you don't remember what the channeling sickness is, Moraine talked about this a few chapters ago. How it's an unpleasant side effect of people who had to find their own way. It comes with fevers, hot and cold, feeling unwell, headaches, being reckless. Rands always tend to go to reckless thrills. Uh, big highs and lows. Basically, it's like being high, drunk, and having a heavy fever all at the same time. I don't know. And this whole time, he knew he should stop Matt. He knew this was wrong. He knew the White Cloaks were not someone to be messed with, but he couldn't bring himself to care. And seeing Matt go about this, even though he knew he should have been like, dude, no, bad idea, he was kind of grinning and going, well, this is exciting. <laughs> and there's this little voice in the back of his head screaming that this is all wrong. So when the prank comes to fruition... Rand just finds himself standing there laughing his ass off. And the White Cloaks don't take kindly to that. What's so funny, boy? And it's Bornhold. It's Bornhold. We get Bornhold, Jeffram, right? Uh, the son of the decent White Cloak. And I, if I remember right, Bornhold kind of redeems himself towards the end. I just, I don't love their character, so I'm not thinking very hard on it. The only white cloak that you can actually count as a decent person is Galad. I Oh, they are they're not not happy with Rand's laughter. And in his channeling sickness, he's taking really stupid chances. He's talking about how his body feels elated, how he's feeling like this coursing energy running through him, how he's feeling elated and terrified at the same time, and he's looking at the children with the light grinning because he can't stop, even though inside his head he's like, no, 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 make it stop. This is wrong. No, don't do this. And he's just, Rand's just like, hey, 
Anything can happen. Bad luck happens to all of us. Even the children of the light. And they are, again, not very pleased. They're like, who are you? Where do you come from? You think you're so dangerous with that sword on your hip? And Rand, Rand like, thinks about, all right, I gotta cover my sword up, right? But instead, his body does the opposite. He flings his cloak backwards to show the sword off better. And he kind of puts his hand on it, and he kind of stands all arrogantly, and he's like, ah, I just got here. I just got to Berlon. It's really nice. Do you know where I can find an inn? And the Bordal's just like, you're avoiding my questions, boy. What evil is inside you that you refuse to answer me? And you know what? Screw the White Cloaks. We tried to give them their moment, didn't we? I tried to be objective when we got to them, but no. No. They're assholes. What evil is in me that you won't ask any questions I arrogantly ask you and I have no business of knowing? Oh... You know what? I'm almost enjoying, and not almost. I am enjoying Rand here because this is so much fun, and, and you know, and he's just still standing there all cocky. And one of the white cloaks pulls his sword out, and Rand's just still sitting there grinning, going, "I wonder what will happen. I guess I'll wait for it to come." It, what? Like Rand has full on gone crazy. Ooh, here's a thought. What if his first reaction to the to the power is bringing him close to Luce Theron, right? So crazy Luce Theron has control of the body right now, right? Luce Theron's confident with a sword. If one of these rush Luce Theron, no problems at all. And Rand's in the back of his head going, wait, no, stop it. Make it stop. Please don't. This is bad. We need to leave. But Luce Theron's just like, ha ha, come at me, rogue. <laughs> like... That would be interesting. That sounds kind of cool. I mean, we are getting the voice in the back of his head, and it sounds like Rand, not Luz Theron. I don't know. that. I mean, I could be going off at nothing, but whatever. So, yeah, Rand is not being very helpful to Bornhold. Bornhold doesn't like it, but whatever. Uh, <laughs> the town watch starts running up, and... Uh, the White Cloaks have to leave. And Bornhold's like, Berlon stands in the darkness. It's the Dark One holds sway here. Your whole town is evil. And a dark friend like you won't be safe from us. Not even in a town guarded by the shadow. We will depart from now. And then they leave and they're just douchebags. It's just, just awful. Oh man. So Rand is still feeling this super tingly sensation. His body is on fire. He feels good. He's still waiting for something to happen. And the White Cloaks are walking away. And Matt steps out and is like, You're not sick. You're crazy. And this is coming from the all-around prankster, right? He's like, You are a nut job, dude. This is not normal. <laughs> you are. We're going back to the inn right now. And Rand takes this big, deep breath, and suddenly the feeling's gone, like pricked like a bubble. And he's a bit freaked out by his actions. He's like, oh, yeah, I think we really should go back to the inn now. So the two begin hurrying back to the inn and to make sure Perrin keeps his mouth shut. 
yeah, like he's the one they have to worry about. They get lost a few times, and in their haste, they got it lost a few times in their haste, because they're going quickly, just like how I messed up my words in my haste. Yeah. Uh, and then they run into Tom Maryland, who's parading down the street, waving his cloak around, showing off, and proclaiming he'd be performing that night at the Stag and Lion. Uh, I love Tom. You know, he said he was only out there to get some fresh air, to stretch his legs, but every time a new person's eyes widened at the sight of a gleeman, you know, another shake of the cloak, another loud, melodious... You know, I'm going to be here and only tonight at the Stag and Lion. I just, Tom is the best. <laughs> However, I do kind of wonder if he was out looking for the boys. But at the same time, Tom is always fun. So the boys fall into step with the old man. And it's Matt who begins telling Tom about the dream. That actually surprised me a bit. Uh, and the Gleeman began listening closely after a minute. And then, at the name Baalzaman, he silenced both of them and pulled them into an empty alley. He tells them to start over and tell him everything, quietly, while he's walking out at the alley, making sure no one's paying attention. So they finish up, you know, oh, he broke a, ba uh, a rat's back, and he said all these horrible things, and he told us to join him, and they finish up with telling the dragon's names, and the boys ask, what should they do? Uh, who are these guys? And Tom says to say none of these names where others can hear. Even might be able to hear. That these guys, he doesn't say false dragon, but he very, he, he clearly implies it. They shook the, the pillars of foundation. These false dragon's names are nearly as bad as the other. Besides, they're all dead men. Uh... Rowland Darkspain, 2,000 years dead. So, uh, yeah. And Matt asks if they were really used, like like the guy said, and if the White Tower really killed them. And Tom gets a little dark here, his face tightens. You can tell he's getting a little bit angry, but, you know, his tone is still good with the boys. And he says, you say, you can say they might have killed him. And we, the readers, know he's referring to Owen, which is very sad. I, Owen's story is sad. However, he doesn't think they were being used by the Omerlin. Not that. He cannot believe the White Tower would be involved in that. Which is funny, because I'm pretty sure he's the one helping spread the Loghain story in Salidar. <laughs> uh, he says they should wait on telling uh, Moraine. And I like how he puts it. You can always change your mind later if you feel like it. But once you tell, it's out. And there's no going back. And after you do that, you'd even be more tied up with her, you know, the Aes Sedai. And that's when he remembers that they said Perrin had the same dream too. <laughs> and he's like, well, we need to hurry back uh, because he's worried Perrin might not have a sense enough to keep it to himself. Ha! Perrin's the most level-headed of the three of them. Uh, at least unless it comes to Fael. Then he's a little nuts. But, you know, when you think about it, even Matt doesn't think clearly when it comes to two on. And Rant... <laughs> Rant's is too complicated to go into. We're not going to do that now. But yeah, they all go crazy around their women. So that their ladies, that your women sounded really bad. You know, it sounded very 
possessive. It was weird. Um, uh, yeah. So they go and rush back to the inn. I love how, you know, while Tom coming out was all extravagant and very, you know, professional in the gleeman way, at this point, he's not hailing nobody. He's not talking to nobody. They're all just going back to the inn quickly and checking on Perrin. And right as they get up to the inn, they nearly run into him as Perrin's coming out the door. And they're all like, you didn't tell, right? You didn't say anything. And Tom's like, it's very important that you don't say anything. Not anything. And Perrin's just like, I wasn't even trying to think about it. Okay? I gave myself a headache trying not to think about it. Why would I tell anybody anything? Besides, why did you tell him? And they're like, we had to tell somebody. I mean, it would be, we'd go crazy if we didn't. I think, I think Matt <laughs> could attest Rand is already going a little nuts, but whatever. And parents just like, well, yeah, sure, that's great. But I've got news. And they're like, what's more important than this? <laughs> we, we're talking about this serious stream stuff. What are you? Nynaeve's here. <gasps> oh my God, no. <laughs> Matt's like, oh, hell no, what? And uh, Rand's like, why is she here? And both Matt and Perrin look at him like he's an idiot. To take us back, obviously. And Rand's like, we, we, we can't do that. He, she should know about Winter Night. We'll just have to convince her. And Matt and Perrin are both... Convince her? What? Are you okay? <laughs> uh, I love... Matt's just like... Uh, maybe maybe we should just go somewhere else, right? Maybe we should spend the nice night someplace else tonight. And Tom's like, I don't think that's going to work. From what I've seen of the young lady, she's not going to stop until she's had her fill. And the longer we wait for her to talk to us, the more of a nuisance she might make herself until the white cloaks become interested. <laughs> oh, it was good. It was good. Uh, the boys are wondering how she even got there, and Perrin's like, well, apparently, uh, she roused Mr. Hightower out of his room, where he was hiding under his bed, not wanting to go anywhere near the river, forced and bullied him down, only let him get one rower and a boat big enough for her and her horse, and they had to row her all by themselves across the tarn. <laughs> <laughs> I love my meme so much. Uh, because, you know, this might come across bitchy or just, I don't know. But this is all out of concern. She's watched these boys in Nynaeve, I mean, Egwene, grow up. They're, they're two rivers folk. They're her people. I know that this isn't necessarily welcome to them at this point in the journey. But it all comes out of love. Because uh, Nynaeve's full of love. Just love and vinegar. <laughs> <laughs> she's sugar and spice but a lot more spice and everything you know decent <laughs> instead of good i don't know uh, i love it i love it so everybody heads it turns around and starts marching back into the end as if they're going to face a horde of trollocs because Nynaeve's already that hardcore intimidating which is awesome i don't know why Nynaeve didn't have a better relationship with the wise ones she's a lot like them i Oh, it's because she's too much like them and she butts heads. I think Kadzawain's going to make a hell of an Aes Sedai out of her. Kadzawain, you notice Kadzawain only, like, starts grabbing onto the Aes Sedai she likes uh, or thinks are talented. And she kind of took Nynaeve under her wing. See, the, here's the thing. I think before Kadzawain's gone, 
Nynaeve is going to be her replacement, if you get what I mean. You know, I know Elaine wants uh, Nynaeve to become her, what is it, uh, her advisor, but that's not going to happen. Catwain's going to be Amarlin at the end of this. Catwain's not going to let that happen. Besides, there's no way in hell Nynaeve should be an advisor right now. She doesn't know enough about politics, and she lets her personal views get in the way of that. You know who needs to be Elaine's advisor in, Aim in Andor and Kyrian? Moraine, because her warder is already her court bard. Huh? That's perfect. Nynaeve just goes and hangs out in the borderlands with Lan and everyone helping her learn about politics, learn to get better. She travels around doing her healing stuff, checking in on everybody, making sure everyone's good. And by the time she's a little better at this, you know who she should advise? Fael and Perrin and Saldea. You know what? Even if she gets that job at the very beginning, Nynaeve and Lan in a borderland area with her being an advisor would work. Just, you know, with Perrin, yeah, yeah, it would work. But, I, wow, this has nothing to do with anything. <laughs> I really like this chapter. It was plenty of fun. It wasn't as great as the last one, but it was pretty great. Uh, I like Tom is so there for them, and that's really cool. They have a reason to be afraid of Moraine. It's frustrating, yes, but they have a reason. We were introduced to Bordhald, one of the most famous white cloaks in the series. Um, yeah, it's it's good, man. It's good. I enjoyed it. I hope you guys did too. I think that should be the end of the podcast here. Um, yeah, I, I rambled on about random shit throughout the podcast, so I don't need to put any of that stuff in the back. I do apologize. Uh, if you... Ooh, that's what we need to do. You guys need to remember to send support to Baalzaman so he makes sure he keeps doing my recaps and my intros, guys. It needs to happen. So go to the, the Gleeman Radio at Twitter. Uh, send it in to my email at gleemanradio at gmail.com or comment on YouTube or on the Podbean or whatever you're on. Um, I got an email a while back from, I believe, Corey Robertson? Oh, I don't want to say the wrong name, but I don't have the stuff up right now. Alright, I actually checked it out, and it is Corey Robson. Thank you for the email. He went down and gave me some notes of what he thought while he was uh, listening to the podcast. That was really cool. Um, I got a bunch of subscribers on YouTube and Podbean, and I haven't checked uh, if I have subscribers on Apple Podcast, but I do know I've gotten two incredibly great reviews. They, they made me so excited to keep doing all of this. And I just want to thank you guys so much. I, I know it's probably not a lot of outreach considering how much, you know, comments and all this a lot of other content creators get. But to me, it was fantastic. And I, I want to thank you guys so much for it. Uh, I hope you have a wonderful day wherever you are, morning, afternoon, or evening. Take care. Peace out. Bye.